I'm director of the Murney Tower Museum. I'm a social science teacher and student life coordinator. I am an associate professor. I got a PhD from Queen's History. And I have an MA from Queen's History. Hello and welcome to the Alumni Archives, a podcast created and hosted by the Queen's University History Department. Before we begin, I would like to respectfully acknowledge that Queen's is situated on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe. Today's episode was recorded on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, and Algonquin Anishinaabe. My name is Heather Poussard, and I am a first-year MA student here in the History Department at Queen's University. I am joined today by Mike McNair, who graduated from Queen's in History in 2003. Hi, Mike. Welcome. Hi, Heather. Uh, Can you introduce yourself a little bit for us? Yeah. So, as you said, I graduated from Queen's in 2003. When I was there, my major was history, which I got to after much agonizing, which we'll probably talk about a bit. And uh, since that time, I've had a career that has mostly been spent working in politics and government, but I've also worked in business uh, as an investment banker at CIBC World Markets and in consulting at Deloitte. I've left the prime minister's office uh, in, at the end of September um, after having spent uh, nearly five years there in multi- a couple of roles, but mainly as the head of policy. And uh, I'm going to be starting next month at McKinsey & Company as an associate partner based out of London, uh, UK. Awesome. Wow, that's quite a story, and I'm excited to talk about it. So maybe to start, could you tell us a little bit about why you chose Queen's? Yeah, I think for me, the reason was similar to probably a lot of other students. I knew people that had gone there and uh, that I looked up to, and particularly for me, it was my my cousin, Jeff, who I went to Queen's, took a lot of pride in Queen's. Um, I had, uh, in, in high school, my marks uh, were not great in grade 9 and 10, and then they improved dramatically grade 11, 12, and back then OAC. So I was in a position where I could get into Queens. Uh, and because of the high entrance requirements, because my cousin had such pride in it, and it was such a beautiful campus when I went to visit it, um, w- even though I'd applied to six schools, when I got that letter from Queens, for me, it was done. I was accepting at Queens. And, and I didn't know that was going to be my reaction, to be honest, when I was applying to the six schools I applied to. So yeah, so it just it all came together for a bunch of emotional reasons, as well as uh, I think the, the, the pride that, wow, I got in and I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of people, there's sort of like a family tradition that comes with going to Queens and uh, a lot of people just keep going, which is really awesome. Uh, So you mentioned before that you didn't start in history. Where did you start? Well, when I started at Queens that first year, my courses were all over the place. History was my passion coming out of high school. It still is. Like when I read in my private time, that's where I'll spend most of my energy. I enjoy looking at current events Uh, in today's world in the context and the lens of a historical understanding. But I didn't know whether that would make sense as an undergraduate degree. Partly, to be honest, because I I didn't know if I could get a job if I did a history degree. And I find that in in Canada, we don't do a very good job of helping people understand the value of a history degree. And I, um, so that was my mindset. I also, when I was in high school, I had part-time jobs uh, working in banks doing uh, basic sort of customer service work. And so it felt like I was maybe on a track towards working in business. And so it seemed like, oh, if I, now I go to university and I study history, that doesn't match that and uh, could be a problem. 
but I, but I hadn't ruled out yet because I knew it was what I loved. Um, so other courses that I took, I took economics, I took politics, I did theater in high school. So I took drama in first year. Um, I was sort of all over the place and it wasn't really until sort of midway through my undergraduate courses that I realized I keep taking history because it's what I'm most interested in. Um, what I should stop forcing myself into a, a box that I don't want to be in. And I sort of committed to history, I guess, sort of mid second year is sort of when that, that came together. Was there like a specific uh, prof or class or something that really helped you in making that decision to stick with history? Well, I actually found, um, and so I can't, you know, this is nearly over 20 years ago now almost uh, since I was there, but I found my first couple of years, I didn't bond with the professors uh, because the class sizes were so large. I had some good TAs. Um, I had some good classmates, but I didn't really feel a particularly rich experience with the faculty at the start of my, my time. I did later though, in third and fourth year uh, when it was more seminar based, and I got to know some of the professors and I got to participate in some really interesting conversations. You got to read more things. And so there were three professors that I often think about Robert Shenton, who I don't think is there anymore, but he taught sort of the history of development. Um, there is uh, Elizabeth Heeman, who's I think moved to McGill now. She was, she taught Canadian political history, which I remain really interested in. And um, really sort of that 19th century British Canadian history context um, is fascinating to me still. And uh, Stephen Maynard, who I know is still there uh, and uh, teaches social history, which I found really interesting and valuable to read. I, I, um, and I took a couple of courses with him and got to know him pretty well as well. So um, I had, as I got into sort of into third year, I, I benefited more from that interaction with faculty. Yeah, I think that's quite common for most people in their university experience. Once the classes get a little bit smaller, a little yeah. bit more focused, you kind of get to know the profs a bit. Um, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, you weren't quite sure how a history degree might have translated into a career, but clearly it has. So can you talk a little bit about what you do now? Yeah, well, and, and I'll, I'll start by just saying that Canada is a bit unique in how much in to the idea of going into business, you need a Bachelor of Commerce degree or a Bachelor of Business Administration and get what they call it at Western. And what happened to me was I then, I went and did a master's degree in economic history at LSE when I left Queens. And when I got there, within weeks, the recruitment had begun for jobs that were going to start upon graduation many months later, which was stunning to me. And if you study commerce at Queens, this is very common, you're, you're well aware this is what happens. Nobody told me at the end of third year to start thinking in the fall of my fourth year that I should, if I wanted to work after university, I had to start applying and thinking about that stuff. And again, I think I just convinced myself I wasn't necessarily employable by making this choice. And it was nonsense. And it was, uh, and when I went to LSE, I was talking to management consultant firms. I was talking to investment banks. Uh, and part of it is because in the UK, but also in the United States, there is much more of a tradition of your undergraduate degree is rooted in an arts or science, liberal arts uh, type uh, program. So the people, when I, my first job out of university after LSE was at CIBC World Markets, working in mergers and acquisitions as a frontline investment banker. And the people I was sitting with were all British and because it was a, a Canadian firm, but operating in London. 
and they all had arts degrees. They went to Oxford and studied philosophy, politics, and economics. Uh, people that studied classics. Uh, it was all over the place. Some people that studied more scientific um, type programs, but it was not um, business degrees. Uh, and it's the same tradition often in the States. If you think about the fancy Ivy League schools, Columbia College, Harvard, Yale, all these places, those undergraduate core programs are liberal arts programs. And it's people that study those programs that then go work in Wall Street or what they call in London, the city, which is the financial uh, district. And, and so it's, it's a very unique Canadian thing that that's not encouraged more uh, as it relates to a potential degree in or a potential career in business. And so that's what it started for me was I actually worked in business, um, work, working in corporate finance and M&A. I realized I wanted to go back to school one more time and to study policy uh, in a more quantitative way than I'd done before. And that's what I did when I got my second master's degree at Columbia. And then I, um, I, then I got pulled into politics because I'd been active in that kind of work uh, just on a volunteer basis a little bit. And I was in the right place at the right time when a job opening emerged uh, for the leader of the opposition's office in Ottawa at the time. I was dating someone who I was wanted to be in the same city as them. So I ended up in Ottawa when maybe sooner than I thought. I'd, I thought I'd maybe be abroad a bit longer. Um, but then that uh, there was an opening. My background, because I'd worked in business, because I had a bit of a political background as well, but a bit, not massively, uh, it kind of fit. Then the next thing I know, I spent four years working in opposition for two leaders of the opposition, both of whom lost their elections. Still an amazing experience uh, that I had no regrets doing. And then I went back into business when I was done in 2011. And I went to work at Deloitte in their strategy consulting unit as an engagement manager and did that until Justin Trudeau decided he was going to run to be the leader of the Liberal Party. He and I had gotten to know each other pretty well uh, in my time in opposition on a more of a friend basis. And so I got pulled in as one of the people at the very start. There was this retreat um, that he held in Mont Tremblant where a small number of us helped sort of do the initial strategy of his run to be the leader of the Liberal Party. I was employee number two on the payroll for that for that run. The first was Katie Telford, now the chief of staff. I was the second. And um, and then off we went. And then I, I worked on his campaign. He won. It made sense that because I had had experience in politics before, that of that sort of inner core, we needed some of us to work in Ottawa again. So I went back to Ottawa from Toronto. And I worked in the office of the leader of the third party at the time because the Liberal Party had, had such a bad result in 2011. And so I spent another couple of years in opposition. And then we had uh, obviously this, this uh, tremendously exciting 2015 election uh, focused on the concept of real change and hope and hard work and helping the middle class and, and he won. And so I then came into uh, government af after having spent seven years working in opposition politics. And that ended up being uh, an amazing experience working as the head of policy for the full first mandate of the Trudeau government. When he was reelected, uh, I kind of felt it was probably time to, to move on. I'd done the full term. Uh, it had been 12 years in politics. Uh, I was approaching my 40th birthday. And uh, a lot of my, as I said, my identity is um, in my career is operating sort of between business and government. And it had been a while since I'd worked in business. I don't regret at all that I'd spent so long uh, in politics. I had an amazing experience, but uh, I felt it was time to 
to stretch those muscles and grow further in my career. So I left in January of 2020 and then COVID hit. Uh, and so I ended up starting to provide some informal advice uh, as of March. I then formally rejoined the payroll of PMO in June, basically to do a, a summer job to help prepare for the, the new agenda that was gonna be coming in the course of the fall. Then I re-exited politics again one last time uh, at the end of September after the throne speech was delivered. I've spent the last few months doing some contract work and being affiliated with INSEAD, this amazing global business school in France. But then I'll, as I, as I said, I'll, I'll be joining McKinsey uh, in uh, February. Wow, awesome. And that's my career in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely, one of the questions we often ask is, uh, you know, was it sort of a straightforward path from your graduating to, to where you are now? And obviously that's not true, but, you know, a lot of times careers sort of wind. Um, how do you think that your degree at Queen's helped you prepare for your career or different positions that you've held? Well, I think that, um, so you're right. Like, and I don't think anyone that I've ever met has a career that has totally unfolded as they expected with any kind of five-year plan notion that we all sometimes do some from on occasion, but I do. And a lot of it's based on luck and being in the right place at the right time. But I also am a firm believer that you create luck by the foundation that you lay for yourself in terms of your life, how you live it, but also what professionally you, you do. So for me, a few of the big breaks that happened in my life in terms of what really advanced my career in terms of the interesting work that I did. One was that opportunity in Ottawa um, to join the leader of the opposition's office unexpectedly. That wouldn't have been available to me if I had not spent time working in business and corporate finance if I did not have graduate degrees at a fairly high level, and if I had not participated uh, in an informal and volunteer way in politics before. Those components were there, and then the opportunity was there. And if that hadn't been the one, I'm firmly convinced something else would have emerged. My Queen's History degree was part of that and part of my identity. Uh, my affiliation with Queen's, the relationships I built at Queen's, the friendships I still have from people that I went to Queen's with, all contributed to my network and still do as well as I find history as a program and as a form of study. And again, I studied history at the, at the postgraduate level as well, is it, it helps, uh, I think, make the world a very exciting place to, to understand and to analyze. I think my research skills are part of what differentiates me um, compared to other people that I've worked with in various capacities. And even like some of the, the contract work I'm doing right now, a lot of it's very research heavy some of the methodologies of how we do research come directly from Queens and um, studying history. I also think too, the, the method of training that I got at Queens in history, and I, I think about some of the classes that I took with some of those professors I mentioned, and um, you know Robert Shenton, I, I have these vivid memories in his seminar class, we'd read Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations, but also other sort of more economic development core texts. And we would go line by line, sentence by sentence, trying to understand the tense of every word and why it was written that way. What was meant by that? What was the context in which this thing was written was also something really valuable that I got from my history degree that I think I apply regularly right now. And anything I read, I'm very curious and interested in the context of it, the biases applied against it. Um, and that comes, I think, from my undergraduate degree. I, uh, I also think about, as I mentioned, I mentioned the social history courses I took with Steve Maynard and uh, the deeper level of understanding what's going on here with actual real people, because 
often in political analysis or business, it's very easy to just focus on leadership and the people at the top, but that's not the world that we live in. The world is full of <laughs> billions of people, all of whom have value and worth, or in a business context, the other way to put it is, are your customers or are your employees? And so um, that was a very helpful perspective to get as I, and certainly when I, my foundational experiences in history and high school and otherwise, it was often, you know, the great man theory of history. You learn about these people like Winston Churchill and they are Britain when really what was going on in Britain was much more complicated than anything that one particular prime minister was doing as, as fascinating as that prime minister is into himself. And so I think understanding the world in a more complex way, having deep research skills, being able to put things in context. And I think um, ultimately this is maybe more qualitative, but I think a lot of what success in politics and business um, in other fields often is, is the ability to understand a narrative and a story. And history is ultimately about narrative and a story in one form or another, often very well researched and well thought through. But storytelling is what I think makes the world go around and what helps people resonate with other people. And history is about stories. And it's why it's such an interesting thing. And I think that even uh, as technology advances and different ways of teaching advance, history is about the stories of people. It's the, it is the, the practice of how we live our lives and try and learn from it and trying to understand the present in a more uh, informed way. So that's a long answer, but uh, it's something I, I believe in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you hit a lot of the sort of major sort of skills that you would like to get out of a history degree, like critical thinking, research skills, reading and writing, um, all of those kinds of things, but also some of the sort of smaller ones that people don't always think of, which is sort of, I've seen in my research of what people pull out of these degrees, some, sometimes people call it like um, like cultural um, literacy or things like that. So sort of the ability to like see the world in a different way and like understand different people, which is something that comes from a history degree. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Do you have advice for someone wanting to pursue a career in business or politics or in your field in general? I, well, yeah, and so, and I've been asked that question before in my career. What I often, what I all often start with is, I think it's really important, and this is the lesson that I learned. So, if there's any wisdom I can offer from my own experience, I think it's really important in your undergraduate degree to study what you truly love, and not feel as though your undergraduate degree is a constraint on what you are doing in the future. Particularly, part of because if you want to do more school, you can, um, you can. If you're interested potentially in marketing or public relations, there's some outstanding colleges that give you that training. If you're interested in doing a different sort of social sciences or humanities function, you can do a master's degree that pivots off of your history degree into something else. But I, I, I personally think that when you're 18 years old and you're making these choices, I don't think you're ready yet to know truly what your life calling and your career is. Some of the most interesting programs I've seen, I knew coming out of high school that I wasn't going to be a scientist that, or an engineer. Uh, I did know that about myself, uh, but some people are interested in history and politics as well as engineering or science or life sciences. I know you can do that at Queens. You can have a bit of a, a mix of those kind of programs. I would really encourage people to focus there for undergrad. What do you enjoy? What are you interested in? Then... I would also say there are opportunities in terms of internships and full-time jobs that come through on-campus recruitment that arts graduates or arts students don't spend enough energy jumping on because the beauty of on-campus recruitment is 
you are already pre-filtered out because you're a Queens student, you got into Queens and companies will basically piggyback off the work that Queens already did to qualify you to get into Queens to say, okay, these are people that, this is a pool of talent that we're interested in. And not every university has that in Canada, that a recruiter would say, okay, this is a student from Queens so they could potentially qualify to work here. And I definitely did not take advantage of that in my undergrad uh, for some of the, the work that I could have done. I would also say that there's lots of ways to start in your undergraduate career to pick up um, some of the skills that you think you may want to use later. So if you're interested in government, get involved in student government, whether it's at a, the AMS or ASSIS or whatever the, back, the, the right place is. But having a bit of experience in that does give you some perspective and also teaches you things like the intensity of how you, so I can say this having been involved a lot in the AMS, the intensity of how I felt about some of the things that I worked on in the AMS is exactly the same in, in terms of how it felt when I'd work at that for the Prime Minister of Canada in terms of your lived experience of it. And, and so you build some resilience, you build your ability to solve problems and work through things. So whatever your field of interest is, there's other ways to do that. Um, but find some ways of experiencing a little bit on a part-time or volunteer basis, a bit of the field that you think you may want to be interested in. And you also meet people that way as well. And then a few other things I'd say is that I think that graduate studies are, it's much more common for people to do grad school now than uh, it was 20, 30 years ago. And I do think that that is a way of almost adding a, a fifth year to your, what your undergrad kind of was. It's almost like a capstone of like, this is, I'm now going to specialize really in this by doing a 12-month program in this. Or if you truly want to be an academic, doing a two-year research master's with the path to a PhD is another path as well. But I, I would encourage all of those, the, those steps to just be rooted first and foremost of what am I interested in and what do I enjoy as opposed to a formulaic, this is what you're supposed to do. Because the more you do that kind of stuff, the more of these options emerge that are of interest. And I'd say for business uh, in particular, my comments on on-campus recruitment, it is the, the best way to get those kind of jobs. It is far easier to do it that way than through cold calling or uh, cold applications that you find on someone's website. And the other, uh, in terms of the other field of that, which is politics and, and government, I am, my own lived experience of that was, it served me well to not work straight out of undergrad in that field, but instead to work in another job first and to get more education. And then when I presented and was able to join that kind of field, uh, I had some credentials that others did not. But that said, there's others to go straight out of undergrad to that work. I've hired people straight out of undergrad into politics. And that's a, not a bad option either. It's a pretty neat first job sometimes. And doing a couple of years there right out of undergrad can be a really uh, beneficial piece of work. But it also probably means you shouldn't do it for very long because there's other things to do. And politics is professional politics is generally not a career. It's something someone does for a couple of years. It's a, it's a calling. And um, what I tell people that want to work in politics is you really should start by just volunteering as much as you can for whatever political causes of interest to you and in whichever political party you, you find a, an affiliation with your own values because it is uh, it's such an enormous leg up when you're looking at a resume in politics to one see interesting education and you're seeing professional work but they've also knocked on a door and they volunteered and they've canvassed and they've done the real legwork in politics and I hired people that had, did not have some of that experience because they brought other things to bear. 
but that was largely because of the dynamic of the person that I saw. And I could see they had some of those political characteristics, but anyone that had an equal resume to another impressive person, but had volunteered time in politics, doing regular outreach, volunteer kind of work, they had a massive advantage because they knew what the, the core of the work was. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Thinking back about your time at Queen specifically, do you have, I know you've talked a bit about some profs and stuff that are really influential, but do you have like a favorite memory or a favorite spot on campus or something that you think about while you were at Queen's? I, I think for me, I, I was absolutely, um, again, I was very involved in the AMS and I, I ran for AMS president. I didn't win, but I, I lost by a hundred votes. Um, it was an amazing experience to run though. And all things considered, it's probably best that I didn't win because I got to graduate on time in four years and I would have had done a fifth year in Kingston if I'd won. And for me, that worked. I think for other people, it, it, uh, it would work to do an extra year. I spent a lot of time in the JDUC as a result. Uh, my sort of home base within the AMS where I uh, was the board of directors, which is this weird arcane part of the AMS that not very many people know about that focuses on the operation of the business side of the AMS, all the different services, the PNCC, the Common Ground. I was the vice chair of the board when the Common Ground opened, like that kind of stuff. Uh, my my full-time job I did in the AMS was I was the first human resources officer there, which again, kind of felt like a business function. So I really enjoyed the AMS as a place to gain real managerial and business skills and to build some great friendships uh, within the AMS. Again, many of the people I worked with at the AMS, I'm still in touch with, I'm still friends with, they're all doing interesting things. And uh, so when I think of most sort of nostalgically about Queens, it's actually less in the classroom in some instances and more in what the, the former general manager there, Claude Sharon used to call the classroom of broader learning. Um, and uh, being in my office in the AMS, uh, deep in the bowels of the, the JDUC and uh, just working on stuff that I was fascinated by and learning about business in a very practical sense. And then, but I would say in terms of my best academic memories were probably some of those Bob Shenton courses. They were late at night in Mac Corey and three hour seminars. There were grad students that would be in these undergrad classes sometimes as well. And uh, just really interesting stuff that also gave me the confidence that I could, I could apply for grad school. I didn't know that that was something I could, would necessarily do. And I remember when I asked Bob Shenton to be one of my references for grad school, I was so sheepish about asking, like, how do you do this? And, and he was so disarming and fairly gruff figure was just so kind. It's like, of course, Mike, this is part of my job is to do this kind of stuff for my students. And, and so he was, I think with his encouragement, it's a big part of why I went to grad school. So those late night seminars with Bob Shenton learning about Africa and the, the models of development in Africa and, and, and what colonialism, how it impacted Africa. It was just such a rich academic experience that uh, I really hope others get that along the way. Why would you recommend Queens or Queens history to somebody? Well, I think that Queens is such a national institution in the country of Canada. And it, it really, its history is so, its own history is so tied to the history of our country. It is, its proximity to Ottawa and Toronto and Montreal mean that it is a real hub for, well, students, but also employers in what is, you know, collectively the, the majority of the population within Canada. So it really does feel like a core national institution in itself. Yeah, at the same time, it is in this, you know, this campus that is beautiful and smaller and Kingston is 
large enough that it can get kind of whatever you want, but it's small enough that it feels like you're in a college town. And that's just not available from McGill or the U of T or U of Ottawa. And so you kind of get the best of both worlds by, by choosing Queens. And also just the academic excellence that is required to get into Queens means you're surrounded by smart students. And what I found was being at Queens and then subsequently in, in grad school was part of what you get out of this experience is the confidence that you can hold your own in that environment. And so if you, if you know Queens is tough to get into, you're not, sh- but you, you know, you got some self- some confidence to build and you go to some of these seminars and you contribute and you realize I've got something to say here. I can, I can be a part of this and Queens coming out of there, you know, that it, it's got some bad reputations in terms of like people's sense of uh, sense of self of, of Queens students, which are kind of funny to talk about sometimes, but a big part of what that represents, I think is just the confidence that you know, people were at a high end institution. And then the, the other thing I would say is for history is that if you, if you're interested in history, because Kingston, and Queens have its own unique and interesting history within the fabric of Canada. It's a, it's a good place to feel and to be absorbed by that. I loved when I'd be walking down the streets of Kingston thinking about what this must have been like in the 1850s uh, at the early part time in Canada. And so it, it's fascinating from that perspective, but it's also a school that thinks globally. So if your interests are more international in terms of your historic focus, I definitely got some of that from my classes uh, as well. I guess the other thing I'd say too is that for me, history as an anchor in a broader interest in the world, which includes economics uh, and politics and business, because you've got other programs at Queens that are good in each of those areas, there's a lot of interesting overlap that can happen. I know that there's a business history program that existed when I was in there in the economics department, you know, a high end business program, high end policy program, high end politics, high end economics. Um, so someone like that had my interests in those in those fields, it's a good place to be studying history as well. And I guess the only thing I would just say if I could talk to myself at age 20 was just to have more confidence about my choice of history and to go all in with it uh, and, and pull in some of those other benefits that come from being on a campus at Queens beyond the history program as well. I know that's that's wonderful. Um, is there any other sort of final comments or anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? I, I, I think I've, I've sort of shared a lot of what for me made my Queen's history program so important for me and what I hope others, you know, sort of learn from my own experience. And I guess the, the core thing, and I said this earlier, is just I really think it's important that when someone does an undergraduate degree, it should start with what are they interested in and what is their passion. And I think that if it, that passion happens to be history, that should be encouraged. That is uh, an exciting choice. It is employable in a range of fields. And uh, if anything, we need to do a better job of affirming students who make that choice that if you want to be an academic and history is your focus of academics, then of course it makes sense to be doing that. But in a range of other fields, it can be an effective jumping off place as well um, and a good anchor of, of education uh, that I think it has a real value. And I think that in Canada in particular, we need to do a better job of valuing it, particularly as the world gets more complicated and more uncertain. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the goals of this podcast is just to bring on people who have those those history backgrounds, but are doing such different things. They're not all professors or, you know, historians or whatever. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Mike. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alumni Archives. And thanks again to Queen's History BA grad Mike McNair for joining me. 
If you graduated from the Queen's History Department and want to share your story on the podcast, please get in touch with Jen Lucas. You can email her at jennifer.lucas at queensu.ca. You can also find her email address in the description for this episode. My name is Heather. Thank you so much for listening. Talk soon. Bye! Bye.